0: chapter 19. We are in the middle of a sermon series titled Spoken from the Cross. Uh, This week we're looking at the third thing uh, that Jesus spoke from the cross. Week number one we looked at uh, him actually praying for those that were crucifying him. Father forgive them for they know not what they do. Uh, Last week we looked at Uh, Jesus and His discussion with the thief on the cross. When the thief said, Lord, remember me when you go uh, to your kingdom. And Jesus said, Surely I tell you that today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, This week we want to examine Jesus' discussion with His mother and with the disciple John. I will ask you, if you would stand one last time the honor of the reading of the Word of God. We're going to read three verses. Verses 25. 26 and 27, beginning in John chapter 19 and verse 25, the Bible says, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold, your son. Then he said to the the disciple, Behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Let us pray. Father, we love you this morning. And God, I sense your presence here with us. God, you know me, Lord. I would never want to get out in front of you. God, I just want to be sensitive to preach what you would have me to preach this morning. Nothing more and nothing less. God, right now, Lord, as a body, we acknowledge, Father, our need for You to illuminate Your Word to us. God, to reveal it to us, to open the eyes of our hearts that we might see You, Lord. Give us ears that can hear, eyes that can see this morning, Lord. God, we ask that You would move in our midst. Lord, that You would meet needs. Father, that You would save sinners. God, that You would encourage the saint. Lord, I pray this morning. You would anoint me to preach in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God. We'll be careful to give you only the praise and the honor for what only you can do in your house this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This has been an interesting study for me as I have literally now for weeks uh, concerning Sunday morning studied nothing but the cross, studied nothing uh, but the event. And uh, I can say that in ten years of ministry, uh, I have a better uh, picture, mental picture in my head of what that day looked like and all that was taking place there at the cross. It is an amazing scene uh, that we could literally preach years on. And this morning, I want us to look at the scene Uh, from the eyes of Mary and John, whom Jesus both addressed uh, in our text. Uh, First, I want to talk to you about Mary. Uh, She was certainly a mother who was acquainted with grief. She was troubled, the Bible says, uh, in Luke chapter 1. when, And I'm actually going to turn there for just a moment if you want to come with me to Luke chapter 1 as we study Mary a little bit. When the angel came to her and announced to her that she would be carrying the Son of God. In verse 28 and 29. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Even from the very announcement that she would be the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that she was troubled. The announcement of the conception brought with it in the future great honor and dignity. But in her day and in her time, it would bring reproach. She would be accused of sleeping around on her fiancé. She would be accused of carrying an illegitimate child. And the penalty for such in her day was death. The announcement that she would give birth to a Savior in and of itself brought at that time great distress and great danger to Mary and her reputation. And then at the birth, there was no room in the end. She was forced to give birth to the child of God and lay him in a manger with animals. She was a woman acquainted with grief. It was only a few short years before Herod would give the decree to kill every child two years and under. And they would have to flee from the place that they were at to try to save the life of their child and live there for a time in a foreign country of Egypt. Later, she would see her son be despised and rejected of men. She would watch him be hated and persecuted by his own nation. Growing up, she saw his brothers and sisters, which we will look at later. Jesus had brothers and sisters. She would watch them misunderstand him and no doubt be jealous of him. She would see him be abandoned by his own disciples. And it was prophesied that this would be the end of her son. In Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 35, they had brought Jesus, as was the custom, to the temple at eight days old. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. We see now Mary standing at the cross. There is no doubt this is of all the distresses that she had raising the child Jesus. He is a man now. He is 33 years old. He has moments from breathing his last breath. He has been forsaken by his disciples. He has been persecuted falsely. He has been imprisoned falsely. He has been sentenced to death falsely. And there he hangs moments from his death. And it's interesting, his mother is there. It's impossible for us this morning to really grapple with the emotions and the thoughts that were running through His mother's head. While all four Gospels record her present at the cross, there is not one writer that tells us she said anything. She was speechless. She was a woman acquainted with with grief. Certainly there were some things about raising Jesus that were probably helpful that, uh, that, that you and I that have raised children have not been accustomed to. A child that never told a lie. You never had to wonder when the kids come running and both of them have stories whose story was the true one. He was totally selfless. Sinless from his birth, sinless through his childhood, sinless through his teenage years, and sinless unto death. But as you and I know that are here this morning that have had parents, one of the most difficult things as a parent is not dealing with a child that tells a lie, and she did not have to deal with that. But one of the most difficult things as parents is watching our children be wronged. Watching our children be falsely accused. Watching our children be misunderstood. Watching our children be probably picked on and despised by their brothers and their sisters. Watching our children grow up and be rejected by society. You see, these are things that this mother had to do. And She had to watch Him be murdered on Calvary's cross. She was a woman acquainted with grief. I draw that out this morning on purpose, by no accident, because we need to understand her her position as she was standing there at the cross. You know, one of the things that, that, that overwhelms me this morning in my study of this particular event was that there she stood by the cross. She didn't look away. She wasn't wailing and weeping. She didn't turn away in disgust. But when the nation had despised Him and turned from Him, when those whom He had come for refused to receive Him, when His own disciples had abandoned Him, and when the Pharisees were standing there mocking Him, there she stood beside Him. It's a beautiful picture of a mother that has the heart for her child. When I was studying that, I thought to myself, how often are we like everyone else? We'll stand by Him when everyone else is standing by Him. We'll flock to Him when everyone else is flocking to Him. We'll hail Him when everyone else is is giving Him praise and honor. But when it comes time to stand all alone and to stand beside Him and to refuse to look away and to refuse to go with the crowd and to refuse to shrink back and hide until the, until the storm and the turmoil is over, how many of us, like His mother, will stand there beside Him? Because this she did. She was a woman acquainted with grief. She knew pain and she knew heartache. And on this day of all days, I think it's easy to argue that this was one of the most difficult hours of her life as she stood there and watched her son, her firstborn, be nailed to that tree, knowing the love that he had for the very people that had crucified him. Being closer to him than anyone else in his life, being able to witness all of his works All of his acts, all of his teaching, every great thing he did from birth and to the cross. And she watched him hang there. Yet she stands, suffering in unbroken silence. It's impossible for us to read this morning her thoughts and her emotions. But as the crowds are mocking, the thieves are taunting, The priests are making jokes. The soldiers are being relentless. The Savior is bleeding and dying. And there she stands beside him. She does not shrink. She does not crouch. She does not look away. Can I tell you that, just share with you my heart this morning? I think one of the things that we've missed in Christianity is the individual application. Uh, especially in our culture, we, our, our view of building a church um, is borderline ridiculous. Because a church is not just a group of people who show up to sing songs and listen to a preacher preach. A church is a group of believers followers of Christ who come together to worship Him and point people to Him. And whether we do that here or out there, we should be doing it everywhere. It should be here. It should be out there. It should be uh, today as we go downtown and, 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 and try to feed the homeless and minister to them. The church should be going out and doing things for the cause of Christ. But it's like we have this overall a corporate mentality that that building a church is about trying to bring people in by the multitudes. and, and, And we just see this overall picture of a group of people. But the church is made up of individuals. One at a time. Just one. And each of us have a responsibility. For me, this pastor believes that Revival will come to God's people when we do things God's way. That's right. Amen. But it starts like this. One person at a time being moved by the spirit of God to the place where whether the whole world forsakes Him, whether the rest of the disciples flee, whether I don't understand it or not, I will stand at the foot of the cross and I will not deny Him. I will not turn away from Him. And if I must stand here all alone, I will stand here all alone. These are the types of people Christ is calling out this morning I'm going to move quickly, but I just want to ask this last question on this point. Are you honestly someone who will stand alone? What does your life look like when you're not alone? Are you you the type of person that always goes with the crowd? Are you the type of person that shows up on a Sunday morning? If you're ever going to be religious, this is a great place to do it. You show up on a Sunday morning... And you shake hands and you sing songs and you talk about God. But what does your life look like on Monday when you're not around me and you're not around your brother to your to right or your sister to the left and, and it's not religious and we're not singing songs and the preacher's not preaching and we're not dressed up in our clothes. What are you like on Monday? Do you still stand the same way Monday that you stand today? Because, friends, revival in this nation and turning back the clocks, if you will, turning back the tide and moving in the way of God, it's not going to come by simply filling up the church house. It's not going to come by inventing clever ways to bring people in so the church numbers boost up. It's going to come when you and I, as individuals, stand beside our Lord and refuse to be shaken, refuse to go with the crowd, refuse to shrink down and look away, but We stand strong for our Lord. This morning, are you standing strong? What does your life look like when everyone else is not for Him? When everyone else is against Him? Do you stand by His side? Secondly, this morning from our text, I want to point out that Jesus again is our supreme example. As He keeps the fifth commandment and honors His mother, you know, the law has never been repealed. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And we still have a responsibility to honor our fathers and mothers. There have been in, in, in the history of the world many cultures. We, we read about it in, in Proverbs of rebellious children. But I can tell you in my day, I've only lived 30 years, 31 here in about two weeks. We have never seen a more rebellious against authority and against parents group of people in this nation. We have lost sight of how to parent. And I'm not not going to preach on parenting this morning. But the majority of homes, we have children raising parents and not the other way around. We have children making the calls, making the decisions, and parents just kind of following after their children. Children need to honor their father and their mother. And we see Jesus at 33 years old as He's hanging there take the time to address an immediate need and a long-term need of His mother. We see that He loved her. That He had affection for her. You know, if there was ever a time that one could have said, I'm just kind of busy now, the stresses of the moment are so intense, That I will relieve myself of this duty to honor my mother. That was the hour. But Jesus shows us that even in the midst of all of our distresses of life, even in the midst of everything that we go through, there is a responsibility to honor our father and our mother. This morning I want to talk to you about what that honor looks like let me say the words of Exodus 20.12, which is where you'll find the commandment, are echoed in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 in the New Testament. Children still need to honor their parents. But honor is more than obedience, though it is this first. It is impossible to really show honor to your parents if you are disobedient to them. But honor is far more than obedience. Honor embraces love and affection, gratitude and respect. When I have been told to honor my mother and my father, that is a whole lot more than simply obey them. It is to show them respect. It is to show them affection, gratitude, thankfulness, and to embrace love. The command to honor our parents does not end when we are no longer children. In Luke chapter 2, in verse 48, you remember the story of when Jesus was a boy and uh, He was 12 years old and, and they went to the temple and then Mary and Joseph uh, left with the group of people they were with and then and they, they were sorrowful because they could not find Jesus. And they went back and Jesus was in the temple. You remember this. He was in the temple. Verse 48 of Luke chapter 2, So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And look at verse 51. And was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. I don't want to bore you this morning, but when Jesus' mother came to him and, and, and said, You worried us, and Jesus said, Did you not know I must be about my father's business? You need to know he was not rebuking his mother. And as I said, I won't bore you, but I will tell you this. The actual structure makeup of that sentence is better translated in this way. As Jesus is speaking to his mother, he is is almost asking... It is a question, if you see, there is a question mark. He is asking her the question, don't you understand... That the only thing, you shouldn't have been sorrowful, mother, because the only thing that would keep me from you is the business of the father. In other words, there's no reason to be sorrowful, which is what he told them. But here's what I want you to see. In verse 51, the Bible says he left and was subject to Joseph and Mary. There was a period in his life when the the child Jesus, though he was The the, the living Word made flesh. Though he was God made man, he was subject to his parents. And you see, this is important because the first Adam, when he came into this world, did not come in as a child, but God made him fully developed. He was fully man. When God finally breathed breath into his nostrils and man became a living soul, Adam was a man, not a babe. But when the second Adam came into this world, he came in the form of a babe. I want to suggest one of the many reasons was that he might entirely fulfill the law in honoring his mother and his father and keeping that fifth commandment. One of the many reasons, not the only. But there did come a time in his life, as with all of us, when he was no longer subject in the realm of obedience to his parents. He was a man responsible for his own actions, responsible for making his own decisions, responsible for providing for himself. There came a day in his life, as is in the reality of all of us, when no longer was he a child in the sense of needing to be taken care of by his parents. But we see here in our text that when that day comes, the command to honor his mother and father still remained. This does not end when we are no longer children. In fact, the word honor is a principle that we can hardly grasp as children. My children are no older than seven years old. I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old. Can I tell you at the mentality of my children, they pretty much simply understand obedience and punishment when they do wrong and rewards when they do good. But when you deal with the principle of honor, when you deal with the principle of affection and love and gratitude and respect, this is a principle that we don't understand until we get older. And more mature. And yet, the commandment is to honor. Christ's years of obedience to Mary and Joseph had not ended, but his years had ended, but his years to honor them had not. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 22 says, Despise not thy mother when she is old. In the last and awful hours of his life, Jesus thought of his mother her present need, and her future needs. This morning I want to ask us, how are we measuring up to our great example? Maybe your your, your parents live a long ways away. Then write them. Call them. Let them know you love them. Can I also say briefly this morning, maybe your parents weren't like Mary and Joseph. Maybe your parents weren't great parents. You're still commanded to honor them. This doesn't mean that I condone bad actions. This doesn't mean that that um, I act like nothing wrong ever happened. But find ways to honor them. I tell you a story this morning about my mother and my father. When I got saved, we didn't have a real great relationship, and uh, it it was um, it just was not healthy. And if my parents were here, they would testify um, that in some ways they were offended that uh, all of a sudden I'm just on fire for God and I'm talking about everybody needing to be in church and. And really that was kind of their role as parents. They should have led me there and they didn't. And it kind of, it, it created a, uh, a, a bad relationship between us. That's just the bottom line. And I began to pray about, God, how can I reach my family? How can I reach my father? How can I reach my mom? And God took me to this commandment. Honor them. Honor them. See, there have been several times that I tried to talk to my dad before I showed him honor. And it just became an arguing match is what it became. What I knew of the Bible in a few short years versus what he knew in the Bible of his life growing up. And it was just like this. And and, and we always left frustrated. And it was like, why do we even waste our time talking to each other about this? And that's what it looked like. And I began to really pray, God, how how can I reach my family? And God showed me the principle of honor. And you know what I did? I wrote my dad a letter. And I made sure that in that letter, I said nothing about anything except what would honor him. And I let him know everything I appreciated he did growing up. I did for me as I was growing up. I let him know all the things about him. It was just about one full page that why I appreciated him as a father. And I tried to show him love and affection. Dad didn't call me back after he got the letter. We didn't have tears and hug each other and cry. But something began to change when I began to show my dad honor. And he began to see that I'm not against him. I'm not trying to win some argument that I loved him, that I had affection for him, that I appreciated him. And as time began to go, when we would discuss, our our discussions became discussions, not arguments, if you know what I mean. And it wasn't but A short time after that, I don't know the exact period of time, but about a year to a year and a half after I wrote that letter, that both my mom and dad gave their hearts to God. They've never looked back and they've been serving Him since. But it took the principle of honor in my life. I shared that because a lot of us have a difficult time showing honor to people that we feel like led us the wrong direction, treated us wrong, whatever, whatever your situation may be. And we must see the need to honor our parents. If you have parents that need to be saved, one of the most important things you can do is learn to honor them. How are we measuring up to our example? Not only does Jesus honor his mother, but he addresses John back to our text. John chapter 19. Woman, behold your son. And He said to the disciple, Behold your mother. It's significant that Jesus addresses John because John had abandoned Jesus too. He was the first to come back. And He was there. But in Matthew chapter 26, you remember when Jesus said that Uh, You will all be offended for me. And Peter stands up and says, Though all these be offended and all these forsake you, Lord, I would rather die and I will go with you to the death. Do you remember Peter saying that? We all know that about Peter. But in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 35, it tells us this, And thus said all the disciples. Every one of the disciples made Peter's claim. He was just the first to stand up and say it. And every one of them, as Christ had told them they would, left him that night to fend for himself alone. You know, we're quick to wonder how the disciples could do such a thing. And as a preacher... As preachers, oftentimes we'll take that and just really use that to hammer down on people. But I want to submit: every one of us would have did the same thing. We would have. Their teacher, their rabbi, their Lord, for the first time in His ministry, has laid down from what it would look like to the natural eye His power and His authority. And He is chained and He is shackled and He is beaten. This is something they would never seen. they would never seen this side of the Lord. And they knew the hatred that those that had Him captive had for Him. They knew that death was the intended result. And the stress of the day, the stress of that situation, can I mind you, pales into comparison to the stresses that you and I have had to face concerning whether or not we're going to stand for the Lord or not. But how many times... Have we too did the same thing the disciples did and kept our mouth shut when our Lord was accused? Shrank back to the side and just said, I'll just kind of watch from a distance what happens here. I don't want to get in the middle of that vicious thing. It is real easy for us, reading the text, to become very hard on these disciples. It's also worth noting that in John chapter 18 and verse 19, when the high priest was ridiculing Jesus at his mock trial, Caiaphas asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. His disciples are gone. They've deserted him. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what Caiaphas asked, but it's worth uh, thinking on for just a moment. I can only imagine the questions of, Jesus, so where are your disciples now? The multitudes of people that followed you, O great King, where are they now as you stand here alone, condemned before us? You can almost hear the irony in Caiaphas' voice because Caiaphas and the rest of the Pharisees for years now had become irritated at their lack of power and authority and influence over the people. And they had plotted to kill Jesus because people were following Him, believing Him, listening to Him. And as their power was being stripped from them, they became enraged and said, We must kill this man. We must silence him. We must get rid of him. His miracles, his teaching, his voice, his words, we must put him in the grave. And you can almost hear the irony It's finally their hatred for Him has brought this thing to a very close to the end and He's standing there and Jesus is all alone. He says, where are Your disciples now, Lord? Where are these people that follow You so much? I want to say two things. The first is least important and the second is very important. The first is this. Again, We are just like the disciples. And it is unfortunate, but it's true. They did give reason. They did give reason to the enemy to mock the Lord. Church. Can I talk to the church this morning? Do you not know that the way you live and the way you walk, your lifestyle, the things you do, actually speaks something about the Lord to this lost and dying world? The attitude that it only affects uh, that it only affects me is 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 a ridiculous attitude that is far from the truth. Your life affects everybody else. What you do makes a difference. People are watching us. And God help us to be men and women of integrity that don't turn to the left or the right because we are fearful, but that stand strong on the promises of our Lord that He is with us. He will never forsake us. And with every temptation, He has made a way out. And our God is God. And He is able to do above and abundantly beyond all we could ever ask or imagine. Let us stand strong. Because what we do does send a message to this world about the Lord. Now, that's the least important thing. I want you to look at the second thing that's incredible to me. Had His disciples abandoned Him? Yes. Had they not trusted Him when He told them what they would do? Yes. Was Jesus standing alone and being mocked because of their sinful actions? Yes. What does Jesus say? nothing he refuses to accuse his own thank you jesus he refuses to agree with the enemy and while it's difficult for me to explain it to you this morning their sins were already under the blood they had already placed their faith in him as savior and yes they were wavering and so do you and i but the blood had covered their sins and he refused to speak an evil word against his own Thank God the accuser of the brethren. That old devil can say anything he wants about me, but my Lord refuses to speak evil of me to the enemy. He stood for them. thank you, It's an amazing thing. He refused to even answer it. He loves us with a love I can hardly explain this morning. He is for you and not against you. He is for us. Yes, He is. And even though they had abandoned Him, He was still for them. And while what Caiaphas spoke mainly was probably true concerning His disciples, Jesus refused to speak a word in front of the enemy. Though the betrayal was fresh literally hours earlier, notice that Jesus does not heap accusations on John. But he immediately commissions him to work. See, Jesus had a chance to say something if he wanted to the accusers and to Caiaphas. But now it's Jesus and John. It's an amazing thing. Jesus doesn't say, John, what were you thinking? It was hours earlier. He was fully God and He was fully man. And there is no doubt He felt the emotion and the sting of betrayal. But what does the Lord say to this disciple who's standing at the cross with the Lord's mother? He commissions him to work. Behold your mother. Take care of her the way I took care of her. What a lesson for us. How often do we wait to come, if you will, back to Christ? Because we're terrified of what He's going to say. How many of you this morning, not only are you not standing at the cross, but like the others, you've shrank back and you're terrified of what God would say to you when you stand before Him. Notice the Lord does not heap accusations. He doesn't even mention it to John. His mercy and His grace are vast beyond what we could ever imagine this morning. If you are waiting to come to Him this morning because you're afraid of being condemned and you're afraid of all your faults and your failures being shined into the light, know this, He already knows everything you've ever done. He already knows. It's not news to Him. And when you come to Him, He'll simply welcome you with loving arms and commission you back to work. You need to be encouraged. If in your hour of trial you have denied the Lord, if in your time of testing you have failed, be encouraged as we see how the Lord handles such as these. Return to Him this morning and He will take you as you are. Who knows? What commission He has for you. We also see in our text this morning that our spiritual responsibilities do not negate our natural responsibilities. Jesus is in the act of accomplishing the greatest feat of history. He is doing the ultimate will of the Father from the beginning of time. He is providing redemption for the lost soul. Propitiation for our sins. The atonement through the blood. Everything that is needed to be provided that I might be reconciled to God, forgiven and cleansed. He is in the very act of doing this thing. And yet, He does not overlook the responsibilities of His natural ties and His relationship with His mother. This is the lesson for us, and it is an important lesson to learn. There is no duty, there is no work, however important it may be, that can excuse us from our obligations to our families and those whom God has placed us in relationships with. In my notes, I hesitated to say this following point because I have a lot of friends that I feel are good people that God uses because of His grace that are guilty of this. But I will say it. Those who go forth as missionaries, whether it be to labor in heathen lands or whether it simply be on the road to travel from church to church and preach, who leave their children behind or send them back to be cared for by family or strangers, are simply not following the steps of the Savior. Those types of women who spend so much time at public meetings, even though they be about church and religious activities, or or those who go down to minister in the slums to the poor and needy, and yet neglect their own family at home, do not bring glory to God, but reproach upon the name and the cause of Christ Those men who are so busy preaching and teaching that they have no time for their wife and their children are also guilty of the same. The man who spends his life working and neglecting being a husband and a father to his children is simply not following the steps of the Savior. The Word of God puts supreme importance on family. The family is so important. There was, no, there, there was no children before there was a husband and a wife. The very first relationship ever instituted by God was that between a man and a woman. And then you have the family, and then you have the church. Without the family, there is no church. Without a husband and wife, there is no family. And it's so important that we see there is nothing in this world, nothing, nothing in this world that will ever negate me from the responsibility to my wife first and then my children. Not this ministry, not my job, not your job. Not And, and, And I have seen people that get wrapped up in trying to do so much for God that they spend their life away from home and away from their children before they know it, their children are 16, 17, 18 years old, and they barely know each other. I've seen men work their life away, all under the banner of trying to provide a a, a good home and and a good environment for their children and a a decent education and, and decent clothing and this and that. What good are all those things if they don't have a daddy? And the same is true of the woman. We see the importance of the family in the Word of God. And we see Jesus as a son. Though He's performing one of the the greatest spiritual feats in the history of the world, nailed to the tree, still honoring His mother. And not shirking His responsibility as a son. To have affection and care for his mother. This morning, can I encourage you? Father, make sure you've got your priorities in line. Make sure you're not working your life away, thinking you're doing your family a favor. Mother, be sure that in all the work that you do, that you're still being a mother. Husbands and wives, the same to you. And children, let us honor our parents. We also see in Mary a universal need for all of us. And that is a need for others. You were not created to be alone. We need community. There is so much in our text, and I have to move this morning. Sometimes I wish I could turn these into two messages. Because community is so important. You are not made to do this alone. That's why you need to be connected with a a local church, a body of believers, somebody that can encourage you. Somebody that when you're down, they can kind of put the arm around you and lift you up and say, come on, friend, you're going to make it through this. And somebody that when they're down and you're up, you can do the same for them. We need community. And Jesus sees this need. And he says to Mary, Behold your son, speaking of John. And to John, Behold your mother, speaking of Jesus' mother, Mary. There are several things I want to point out quickly about Mary this morning. It's interesting that in all four Gospels, he does not call her mother, but woman. He refrained from using a word that would later justify the idolatry of rendering to Mary the worship that is due alone, her son. The idolatry of worshiping her as the mother of God. The Mary of Scripture, which I'm going to show you here in just a moment, is much different from the Mary of superstition. She was like each of us a sinner, a descendant of Adam, a sinner by nature and by practice. In Luke chapter 1, in verse 46 through 47, Mary said this about Jesus My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. She needed a Savior just like you and I. She was not sinless. She was a sinner like you and I who needed a Savior. And the Bible tells us she rejoiced in her Savior. The Word of the living God does not present Mary as the Queen of angels decked in royal diadem, but as one who herself rejoiced in a Savior. And in the text that I read earlier, the Bible says she was blessed among women, not blessed above them. Jesus addresses her as woman and says to her, Behold the Son. We need each other. And Mary was no different than us. I want to give you a few reasons why I submit to you this morning that Jesus told Mary and John. He basically placed John in his position. And it's significant, the wording that Jesus used. Because remember, in Christ, we're all brothers and sisters. Okay? And so from that point of view, Mary and John were actually brothers and sisters in a spiritual sense. But Jesus says, Mother, behold your son. And He says to John, behold your mother. And in essence, here's what He does. He says to John, You take My position... As her son. You take care of her the way I've taken care of her. Now why would he say this? In Luke chapter 2. We read the story of Mary and Joseph. And the account of Jesus being left in the temple. Never again do we ever hear of Joseph. There is significant meaning, reason to believe. That Joseph died shortly thereafter. And Jesus as the older brother. The oldest took care of Mary and without the, there's no question that he had a, a and a deeper spiritual uh, relationship with her than she did any of her other children. We also know that Jesus had brothers and sisters that Mary and Joseph had children. Matthew chapter 12:46, Luke 8:19, Mark 3:31 In Matthew chapter 13, verse uh, 55, even names Jesus' brothers and sisters, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. It also says He had sisters, but they are not named. In Matthew 13, 56. In John chapter 7, verses 1 and 10, we find that His brothers go on to the festival while Jesus stayed behind. And then in in Acts chapter 1, and verse 14, His brothers, who believed in Him after the resurrection... His brothers and mother are described as praying with the disciples. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 19 mentions that James was Jesus' brother. The reason I just quoted so many of the Scriptures there is because the, if any of you know much about the Catholic Church, it teaches that Jesus did not have brothers and sisters. It is simply contrary to the Scriptures that I just told you. But it is important this morning for our text, because what we do know is that his brothers rejected him. They did not believe in him. And as he was dying, Jesus places with his mother the disciple who understood his love most. The disciple often referred to as the one whom Jesus loved. And he places her in his care we see the tender care of Jesus in His last dying hour for His mother. And while they were to behold each other, I also want to submit that as they were standing there together, they were beholding the Son that John had preached about. Behold the Lamb of God. Which is what all of us must do. We must turn our eyes off of ourselves. We must turn our eyes off of society and look to the Lamb that was slain on Calvary's hill. Just as the serpent-bitten Israelites in the wilderness were healed by a look at the serpent, so too are we healed from the guilt of sin, emancipated from the curse of the broken law, and freed from the captivity of Satan when we behold the Savior on the cross and believe Him at His Word. John 3.14, Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Have you looked to Him this morning as your Savior? As your Lord? As your King? Is Jesus simply some idea to you do you think that it's just a story to try to make people live better lives? Friend, if so, you're so wrong. It is the truth of a living God. He died for your sins. He gave His life in your stead. He took your place on Calvary's cross. That you might look to Him and place your faith in Him and find forgiveness and find salvation and find hope and find the reason you are made because the Bible says you are made by Him and for Him. I'm going to close with one final thought. It never ceases to amaze me the Savior's willingness to take time for one. think about everything that he was doing and the, and the implications to the world as a whole. And just as he had time to stop and talk to Nicodemus one-on-one, just as he had to go through Samaria so that this, this Savior and King of kings and Lord of lords could stop by a well to talk to one woman. Just as He would cry out for his, his his those who were crucifying, Father, forgive them. Just as He had time to, to speak to the thief that, that wanted forgiveness. He has time to speak to His mother and to speak to John. You know, this morning, He has time for you. He does. You might feel like, how could God care about me? I don't know. And I don't know how He can care about me either. But I know this, He does. How could He take the time in the midst of all this this going on on the cross to address this need of His mother? I don't know, but He does. How could He be so forgiving and loving towards John that He doesn't even mention what happened hours earlier? I don't know, but He does. And this morning, He has time for you. I'll ask our worship team to come. And I want to ask you this morning. Have you beheld the Lamb of God on the cross? Do you know He has time for you? He knows your needs. He knows every pain you face. He knows every desire you have. This morning will you come to Him. And say, Father, have your way with me. Maybe you need to be saved this morning. Won't you come? Won't you come? Because what He did on the cross, He did it for you. He did it just for you. You might feel like you're not worth loving. The cross says something different. God thinks you're worth giving His life for. You might think that you've messed things up so bad God could never take you as you are. Yet He still stands this morning and says, come unto Me and I will give you rest. This morning, do you need to come? Father, we love You. We thank You. God, it's an overwhelming thing for us when we look at everything that took place during those few short hours.